Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and then 9 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And on this Christmas Eve night, as we prepare for the celebration of the coming of your son, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us directly, and that we would know your truth and your grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Have your Christmas plans ever been disrupted? I'm not just talking about this weekend, because somebody showed up that you weren't expecting, or because somebody forgot to pick something up at the grocery store, even though you were told six or seven times to pick it up. I'm not talking about that thing that you forgot to do or that person that you were supposed to get in touch with, but this at any point. I mean, have your plans ever been disrupted at Christmas? Maybe something went sideways, something did not go according to plan, something just blew up. But we all know that feeling to one degree or another, and it just throws us off sometimes. My father was a Christmas junkie. He loved all aspects of the holiday season, whether it was celebrated in the church or as they celebrated it in the mall. Either way, he loved the spiritual disciplines and he loved all of the hoopla decorations. He loved Jesus and he loved celebrating his birthday in all kinds of customs and ways. As a matter of fact, one of his favorite things to do was to stand outside of the grocery store ringing a bell for the Salvation Army kettle. So last Christmas, 2022, was right on track, but then something happened. Recounting the event in a a piece that he wrote for his own church's Christmas devotional booklet titled, A Fractured Christmas, my dad wrote this. He said, the joy flowing into Christmas Eve was palpable as I anticipated the church's candlelight communion service that would flow seamlessly into Christmas Day's excitement with the grandchildren and a full-blown family gathering. But then, in the twinkling of an eye, and as a result of an unfortunate misstep on a floor mat in a Publix grocery store, 
I tripped and hit the card concrete, and my Christmas expectations were fractured along with my right kneecap. No candlelight communion. No Christmas morning with the grandchildren or feast with the family. It was as if the Grinch had visited Dad personally and stolen his perfect Christmas. But then he wrote, a very different few days of Christmas replaced the festive plans that had been so carefully laid out. Christmas had been fractured, or so it seemed. There, yes, there was a disruption of plans, expectations, realities, and the trappings had to be altered to accommodate the circumstances. But you know what? Christmas happened. Very similar to that first Christmas. A stable instead of an inn. A manger instead of a crib. Animals and shepherds and strangers instead of family and friends. The plans changed, but Christmas happened. Because Christmas, when rightly observed, he wrote, is not dependent upon the weather or the date or the season or the myriad distractions of frenzy that we tend to attach to its celebration. The surroundings that we allow ourselves to be distracted by at Christmas may change. They may come. They may go. But Christmas, Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. And that does not change. Thanks be to God. In Matthew's gospel, we read the story of another dad whose plans were also fractured. We heard it this evening in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The story that brings in Joseph's perspective on Christmas. It's sometimes hard to know how to describe Joseph. He was a craftsman. He was a distant descendant of Israel's most famous king, David. He was a citizen of the town of Nazareth, and he was Mary's husband. But we know he had to be more than that. He wasn't just Jesus' biological father. He was even more. He was his stepfather, his, the only human father that Jesus ever knew, even though he was not. Jesus' biological father. Joseph was a normal guy, leading a pretty predictable and not unhappy life. We read about him first when he and Mary were engaged. Now in those days, the engagement lasted several months, and the promise of marriage was practically as binding as the marriage itself. I mean, the plan was simple. Betrothal, engagement period, marriage, wedding night, children. That's just the way it's supposed to happen. That's the way it was laid out. But the Bible tells us that before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. Mary had gone away to visit her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. But when she returned, she was about four months pregnant. How do you think that conversation went when she came back and told Joseph? Mary said that the baby was the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. An angel had told her. I can imagine that Joseph was a little bit skeptical. I mean, had she been raped by some carousing Roman soldier, another peasant girl victimized by Israel's humiliating occupation? Had she been adulterous? 
Did she have some younger secret lover? All that Joseph knew was that he was not the father. So imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the heartache. Imagine the gossip. But then also imagine the danger. I mean, infidelity during betrothal was considered adultery. And under the law of Moses, it carried the penalty of death by stoning. Oh, why did this have to happen? Joseph's plans were fractured. His position was bleak. And now he had to clean up this mess. Matthew puts it very simply in an almost sterile way. He writes, as Joseph considered these things. Five words to describe the unbearable agony, the gut-wrenching nature of the decisions that he had to make. Decisions that were literally life and death decisions. Well, he chose the least humiliating, kindest option that he understood. Matthew tells us that being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And that would be that. But Matthew tells us again, as he considered these things, that in the bewildering twilight of wrestling with the question of what to do, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sin. In other words, the angel was saying, Joseph, this isn't a tragedy. Your life has been turned upside down by God. So Joseph was already feeling like his life was turning into a bad dream, and then it got really weird. So here's my question. Do you think that Joseph woke up feeling better or worse after that dream? Less confused or more confused? I mean, really, an angel appeared to him in a dream and told Joseph that Mary's baby is not from a human father, but is the son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. And not only that, this child is the Messiah that the Lord has promised through the prophets. I mean, modern psychologists would say that Joseph's subconscious was playing tricks on him, rationalizing the whole situation to make it all less painful. He probably woke up wondering if he had really just been visited by an angel of the Lord or if he'd just eaten some bad hummus the night before. <laughs> After all, it was a dream, wasn't it? I'd be a little skeptical too. I mean, you know, at least when Gabriel came to Mary, she was awake. But Joseph had to consider whether or not he should believe something and change his whole life, base his whole future on something that he'd seen and heard in a dream. And could it be true? Was God leading him? Was God calling him 
to be a part of his eternal plan of redemption? Could it be that God himself was really upending Joseph's plans for something greater? Joseph was faced with a, with a choice of faith to follow prudence and common sense and divorce Mary quietly and start all over and get his life back on track or to believe his fiance and support her and trust his God by believing the impossible. He would have to tell everyone that God had spoken to him. He would have to endure derision and ridicule from all of his friends. And most importantly, he would have to believe the unbelievable proposition that this child Jesus in Mary's womb is the savior of the whole world. Joseph had to make a choice of faith. Joseph had to decide whether he was going to treat this situation as a tragedy or trust God. It was a pivot point when Joseph had to decide what he believed. Either that something tragic was happening to him or that God was working something out through him. And Joseph made his choice to trust God. The Bible says that Joseph said yes to God, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So what made the difference? What changed his mind? What, what moved him in that direction? In Joseph's case, I think it was two things. First, I think it was that Joseph loved and trusted Mary. No matter how much he had to endure, Joseph knew that she was going to have to endure much more, even more scorn, even more shame from people who didn't understand. But then he also recognized that even knowing what she would have to face, Mary had said yes to the Lord, knowing what was going to unfold, knowing honestly that according to the law, she might be pelted with rocks until she died. And yet Mary humbled herself and said, let it be as you have commanded. And Joseph said to himself, if she can bear this, then I can bear this. So I believe that Joseph said yes because he trusted Mary, but he also said yes because he trusted God. Matthew says that Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was a believer. That means that he trusted God. He trusted God because he knew the history of his people. He knew God's faithfulness to Noah and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and David. God had promised the prophet Isaiah that he would do this, that he would send a savior born of a virgin. And Joseph knew that his God, our God, is the God who keeps his promises. He knew God's track record, and so he said yes to God. But even in addition to that, on top of all that, most of all, I believe that Joseph trusted God because Joseph reasoned 
That if the God of the universe was willing to give up his own life, his own power, his own glory, and even heaven for the sake of his people to become Emmanuel, God with us, then he could trust God with his own life and with the lives of the people he loved. Even though this period of doubt and uncertainty was one of the darkest seasons of Joseph's life, God was making Joseph an important part of his plan. You know, sometimes there's a gap in our faith, isn't there? When we trust God, but we don't know what he's doing. God God presented the plan, but he didn't share all the details. Do we trust God enough to believe that there is a plan even if we don't know the plan? So if you'll forgive me, I'm going to get personal for a moment. Although my dad's devotional was written about fracturing his knee, it was written just days before we discovered that my dad had terminal mesothelioma lung cancer. It turns out that the fracture was much deeper than we thought. He passed away just one week ago, seven days before Christmas. I don't know why. That wasn't our Christmas plan. Sure wasn't my Christmas plan. But you know, I thought to myself, if Dad was such a Christmas junkie, what better place for him to spend Christmas than with the Christ child? While we are holding celebrations of Christ's birth, Dad is with the guest of honor at his birthday party. The Christmas story is about God coming to be with us. But this Christmas, the Lord brought my dad home to be with him. And right now, we are having to trust that the Lord is holding him in the palm of his hand, that he has a plan, and even though we don't know what that plan is, we're going to trust him. Dad finished that Advent devotional saying, Christmas is Emmanuel, which Matthew reminds us means God with us. Even when our plans are fractured, that does not change. As John said, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Emmanuel means that God really became one of us. That God became man to share our lives, our joys, our sufferings, our grief. Indeed, our whole lives, even our death. That he set aside the security and the invulnerability of deity for the vulnerability of humanity. That he got down here in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our lives so that we could know him in a way that we could understand. But more than that even, he didn't just do it so that we would understand him. He also became flesh and blood to show us that he understands us. That he understands our lives because he has lived a human life. In other words, he gets us. I want you to think about this. Joseph probably died before Jesus was 30. So even though Jesus is the son of God, he also knew what it was like to lose an earthly father, an earthly parent, someone that he loved deeply. 
Our Savior gets us because, quite simply, he went through it too. And so the message of Christmas is not just that we have a God who loves us, but that we have a God who gets us. Even in our grief, even when our plans are fractured. Dad had it right. Christmas is not about our plans. It's about a person. It's about Emmanuel and trusting the God of Christmas with our lives and his plan. Dad trusted Jesus his whole life and therefore Daddy's passing did not ruin my Christmas. In fact, Christmas makes my dad's passing bearable because Christmas is not fractured by death. Christmas redeems death. Now Mitchell got it right earlier when he set Easter and Christmas together. He was right. That same baby who was born in Bethlehem in that manger is the same person who died on that Roman cross and rose again on Easter morning. His life and his death, my dad's life and death, have meaning and purpose, and they have forever because of Christmas, because Christmas led to Easter. And this year, our Christmas, our Christmas tomorrow, is the first step of Dad's Easter. Saying yes is a matter of trusting God right now. It's not about calculating the circumstances or outcomes and saying that if I trust God, nothing bad will happen. It's about believing that whatever God allows, he redeems in both heaven and on earth for our good and his glory. It's not about God working out my plans. It's about me being a a part of his plan. And that's why Joseph said yes to God. He trusted God with his plans and his life and even with the people he loved. The Lord sent that angel to Joseph because he wanted Joseph to trust him so that he would believe that the God of his fathers would never leave him nor forsake him. And the Lord then sent his son to us so that we would trust him. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about knowing that even when our plans fall apart, even when our world feels utterly out of control, he is with us. By his Holy Spirit, the God of our fathers is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. And by Christmas, he will be with me or I will be with him. And I know I'm not the only one dealing with this. Maybe you're one of the many people who's lost someone dear to them at this time of year or in the last year, some other time. If you are, I want you to remember this. Tonight, through this story, by his Holy Spirit, your Heavenly Father is speaking directly to you. He loves you and he is God Emmanuel. Not just the God up there 
and not just the God back then, but God right now here with us. Will you trust him and say yes to him? Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, in this bewildering world, we need something to hold on to. In this world of distractions, we need something solid upon which to stand. Help us to remember that, oh God, by your Holy Spirit, you are still here with us. And so, Lord, help us to trust you, trust us with everything we have, to bet our lives on you, and to know that you are still Emmanuel. Amen.